please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We're kind of doing a summary of uh, our study on this text. I'm giving you 10 reasons for the nobility of forgiveness. And the focus is verses 5 through 11. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, because you live, we have hope. We have peace. We have your mercy and your grace, your protection. And Father, as we just sang, the future is in your hands. Father, help us to rest full weight in that assurance and that promise and that provision that we be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the amazing things that you've already done. Father, thank you for the amazing things you will accomplish. And Father, as we look at this text and understand the amazement of forgiveness, and what we have been forgiven. Father, may we draw near to you. May we bow before you. As your people. Walking in the same forgiveness that you have shown us. May we eager, eagerly give unto all who would cross us. To your glory. To your praise. In Christ's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul in this text, verses 5 through 11, is basically telling the Corinthian church who had confronted a man on an issue of sin, a sin against the Apostle Paul. And he is telling them to restore this one. This person has changed. You have confronted this person. Uh, the chastening work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of this believer has drawn him back into the reconciliation of God. Therefore, the reconciliation of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, the reconciliation of the church that was in Corinth. Uh, it is easy in our day and age to give lip service to the words, I forgive you. But one of the things that I have noticed in my life as I have uh, lived it, also, what I have noticed in the study of Scripture is that forgiveness is one of the most powerful, evident things of a regenerate heart that I've ever seen. Because the forgiveness that is spoken of is like that of God's. Uh, we have a tendency to forgive, but not necessarily forget. And when God has forgiven us, it is forgotten. It is as far as the east is from the west. It is thrown into the depths. And, and, you know, and I watch some of us that says, well, you know, I'll forgive, but I just got to make sure that it isn't repeated. That, you know, I don't, I don't want to, what do they call it? I don't want to enable them to do it again. All right. And all I got to ask is, well, how many times has God forgiven you on something that you have repeated? done in an offense to him. I mean, I know that I'm the only one in this building that had to 
repent multiple times of the same thing. Okay, and and you know, it's, and, and I tried the thing to go to the throne and say, well, well, I, I, I just forgot. And God says, no, you confess it. And to confess our sins is not say, well, let's sit down and tell each other what we've done wrong. Okay, to confess my sin is to say, Father in heaven, I agree that this is a sin against you. All right. Uh, and, and what the Apostle Paul has done in this text is he has steered the church. If you look at ch- the first letter, then you know that there was a severe letter. And then you have this letter. And, and once you read through all of them, you see this church slowly turning back to the moorings that the Apostle Paul wanted it on. And it's, it's really an awesome thing to watch. Uh, and, and, and most of our churches today, whenever there's a, a cataclysmic event like this, uh, the Titanic just sinks. Okay, uh, You don't turn it. Uh, and yet I have seen a couple of cases, and I know the case of the church in Corinth, where the church was confronted and was steered back. The church in Ephesus, I've seen it happen in the letter to the Revelation of Revelations. But I also see it was a foundational church when you look at the letter to the Ephesians. It happens. And you and I are called to it. I mean, you, if you really look at your Bible, you've got 66 books of forgiveness. It's not a... It's either implied or it's there. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. And, and, and His forgiveness is unrelenting. And, and yet, I, I watch people in the churches today, you know, you make me mad, I'm going to go start the Second Baptist Church. And then somebody in the Second Baptist Church makes you mad, and I'm going to start the Third Baptist Church. I remember one time going through Philadelphia, and I come across the 17th Presbyterian Church. And you know what that means? There's a whole bunch of cranky people running around being Presbyterian. And, and you just sit there and go... That's kind of crazy. You know, I wonder what happened to the first 16. I wasn't that curious. <laughs> so, but that's what I want us to think about. All right. The nobility of forgiveness. Okay. One. In forgiveness, you are more like God than anything you'll ever do. Okay. When you forgive, that is more godly than anything you would ever do. Two, the nobility of forgiveness fulfills the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. All right? It fulfills that. Because the the, the sixth commandment is dealing with an attitude. It's dealing with the heart. Remember what Jesus said? If you've ever called someone raka or fool, you are guilty of murder. All right, because murder comes out of a heart attitude that is unforgiving. All right. Third thing, the nobility of forgiveness is we understand that when we have been sinned against, God is offended more. It's like, you look, the best illustration of that is King David. He gets Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, pregnant. And to try to cover it up, he has Uriah put into a combat situation where he can't survive, and therefore he is killed. All right? And 
when it is exposed, then he says to you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned? And and and, and we, we, we wrestle with that and we fight with that. But if you think about it, why didn't he remove him from the throne? Why did he give him the duration of his reign? Because he was forgiven. He was forgiven. Fourth thing is, is that it, the nobility of forgiveness is um, we have been forgiven the greater. Can we forgive the lesser? I mean, regardless of what they've done to you, does it really compare to what you've done to God? See, from the moment of your conception, you have been an offense to God. And it continues to pile up until that moment of salvation. And when He is only perfect, holy, and pure, (laughs) you are nothing but a stain on His creation. And we need to pay attention to that. So if someone offends me, if someone sins against me, if someone has a transgression on me, is it really that big a deal? Now we like to think it is because whether you admit it or not, you feel like you're important. If you don't believe me, go look at rush hour traffic. Everybody there thinks they are important. I am getting to work. I have to be at work. I have to, you know, um, you know, the other day I was up in Parker. Is Does anybody in Parker not own a cell phone that they're not talking on? I've never noticed that anywhere but Parker. I was at Parker and it didn't matter where I was. Everybody was on the phone. I carried my cell phone for two years and never got a call and couldn't figure out why. And then they told me you have to turn them on. I thought they would just ring. So and then the first thing I learned after that was the mute button. I've got it figured out. All right. But you watch people. I'm trying to figure out how did our society ever get to this point without cell phones? I grew up without a cell phone. I lived well. I didn't even have email. My thumbs are not good enough for texting. And, And I believe that that is based on because we think we are important. I really think that that's the basis of it. I'm important. You need to text me. You need to, what is the Facebook or Twitter? Or, I don't know all the stuff. I had somebody the other day ask me, are, do you, are you on Facebook? Sometimes I have my face in the book, but <laughs> I don't, you know, but you know, I, you know, and if you're on it, don't sit there and, well, our pastor doesn't even like me no more. You know, if I want to talk to you, I'll use my cell phone. <laughs> okay. Fifth reason, the nobility of forgiveness. If we don't forgive, you will lose the fellowship of the brethren. Okay, so the implication is in my forgiveness, I have the fellowship of the brethren. That's why it's noble. Okay, if I don't forgive, 
I will lose that. We looked at the parable of the servant and his fellow slaves turned him over to the Lord. All right. And, you know, and, and if you're truly honest, do you realize how safe it is to be around Christians? I mean, you've got two options here, people. You can hang out with the devil's people or God's people. There isn't a neutral place. Well, but if it, what if it's my children? What if it's my husband? What if, you know what? You still have an option here. You can hang out with Lucifer's people or God's people. Are there some of God's people who are not necessarily that much fun to be around? Yeah, and they are probably the ones who are not forgiving. Okay, so maybe you get stuck in their lives to help them learn how to forgive. Or to torment them. (laughs) I don't know. You know, be like me, I have the spiritual gift of affliction. All right, but I, I believe that today in our society, in this country, we are clueless of the umbrella of protection that exists for Christians in the church. Okay, I really do. I really do. Because, you know, to punish a Christian, what do you do? Set him outside of the church. Do you realize you don't have to do that? (laughs) Nobody is that faithful. (laughs) They don't know you kicked them out. I just quit going. And then they'll blame you for it. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. But that's what we do. Isn't that what we do? You know, if not, I'll start the 31st Baptist Church. All right, but that's what we do. All right, and yet I see Christians, quote unquote, who are more comfortable outside of the body of Christ than they are in the body of Christ. And those people really ought to be afraid. Because one who does not forgive will not enjoy the love of Christians. Why? Think about it for a second. Is there any greater group of people who've been forgiven than Christians? And if you're in that group and you're unforgiving, you will be uncomfortable. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Sixthly, the nobility of forgiveness. If I do not forgive, I have stepped into divine chastening which will take me to the place of forgiving. Okay, same parable out of uh, Matthew 18 is that God, the Lord, threw the man in jail to pay the debt. Okay, the debt was not the original unpayable debt. The debt is that of unforgiveness. You will learn to forgive. Remember, the, the, the slave had been forgiven this unpayable debt and then he had someone who owed him some money and he threw him in prison for the money. And the Lord put that man in prison until he learned to forgive, to learn to pay that debt. Therefore, you will be under divine chastening. And you've seen these people. Have you ever watched a person who has a very strong root of bitterness? Okay, I think if you're really honest with yourself, bitterness comes from unforgiving heart. Okay, 
And I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a, 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 what if a lost person sins against me? Okay. You're still going to end up with a root of bitterness. Okay. And, and people who have a really good root of bitterness are just a blast to be around, ain't they? Have you ever been around them people? All they do is, right? They're, you know, it's that, like that t-shirt, stop your whining. Okay, now maybe it's just me, but it's just the way it seems to me that people who have this, you just, golly, you're wearing on my last nerve. But anyway, okay. But, but these are the kinds of things that you and I have to think about because this person who has this, who's non-forgiving, is under God's chastening. Okay, now please, a little footnote to that. That doesn't mean it's you. Okay, I, I have seen a lot of Christians who think they're the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, or if the Holy Spirit is taking a little vacation thing and I'm supposed to afflict these people. Okay, um, that is not your job. Please trust me, that is not your job. Now, listen, if someone comes to me and they're in a situation and it looks like they have unforgiveness, I will tell them they have unforgiveness. But you know what? I've learned the hard way. I don't have any ability to change that. I can point it out, but I'm not going to change it. You know, I just think you're unforgiving. You should stop doing that. Okay. Um, yeah, that works well. Uh, go try that and tell me how it works for you. All right. But there's nothing wrong with taking the word of God and saying, here's the problem. All right. But if you think you have the ability to change somebody's heart, <laughs> you got a pride problem, all right? Because you ain't going to do it. You may be an instrument to point it out, and you may be an instrument to help me walk with it, but you ain't going to change it, okay? So j- just keep that in mind, all right? Because we have a tendency to think that I'm the Holy Spirit. Here, I'll help you, all right? And uh, you got to be really careful of that. Seventh thing. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. All right. Now, please, this is in your in regards to your life at the moment of your salvation. All right. When you bowed before the throne of Christ and begged him to save you through faith because of his grace. You have been forgiven. Past, present Future, you are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. But, I know you guys always hate it when I do that. But, in this life, you want to see the hand of God, His mercy, His peace, His grace, His blessings, then you have to forgive. The When we call it the disciples' prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we... Forgive those who trespass against us. But you forget one part. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you ever hear those words come out of your mouth? Have you ever thought about what you just said when you say those words? I want what you do in heaven done here in my life. Really? 
You really want that? Now we all sit here Sunday morning. Amen, brother. Okay, really. Do you realize that when God wants something done in heaven, there's a legion of angels that says, I'll do it. You know what's amazing about them angels? They don't say, why? Okay, because every one of you and I, at some point when God has pointed something out, our first question is, why? All right, so be real careful when you fall down that one. But when it comes to forgiveness, here on earth as it is in heaven, Yay. All right. So if I don't forgive, then I'm going to forfeit blessing. See, at the moment of my salvation, I have peace with God. Okay. But there's another thing. There is the peace of God. If I carry a bitterness in my heart, I forfeit the peace of God. I have peace with God, but I do not have his peace now okay and you know what you can spot them (laughs) them is what what i classify as the cranky christians i know that you guys have never seen those Uh, i have been blessed in my life to bump into them occasionally all right everybody's looking at if he's looking at me he thinks i'm a cranky christian (laughs) i didn't say that (laughs) and and i know that you guys ain't brave enough to come up do you think i'm a cranky christian (laughs) because you know me i beat around the bush Okay, but if I if I'm holding a bitterness in my heart, a heart of unforgiveness, an attitude of unforgiveness, I'm forfeiting God's blessings. Okay, doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means you're not having nearly as much fun as you could be, because he told in John's gospel, he says, I want you to have abundant life. That would be now. And part of the reason that so many in the body of Christ don't have abundant life is because they're holding bitterness. <clears throat> All right. Eighthly. Ta-da. Chapter 5 of Matthew. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Okay. In the nobility of forgiveness, if you do not forgive, it renders you unfit to worship. Okay. If I have a, 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 a forgiving attitude, a forgiving heart, then I am fit to worship. Jesus in this, in, in that fifth chapter says, if you are getting ready to go worship, you're getting ready to offer, and you know that somebody's got something against you, you need to go make it right. Be- because you're unfit to worship. Okay? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, I made somebody mad and I'm pulling into the parking lot at church and, oh, I better go get that resolved before I go worship. Because, you know what? That's the height of hypocrisy if you worship with a bitter heart. Think about it. If you have an unforgiving attitude, how do you go before a God who forgave you and tell Him you want to worship? 
If there's a lack of forgiveness or something that is unresolved in your heart, stop. Find the one and make it right. Reconcile it. Make it right. Then come back. See, don't affront God by hypocritic, hypocritical kind of worship. Are you really going to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Carrying a grudge against a saint? You realize how silly that is? The fact of the matter is that you don't have any business worshiping God because if you're not forgiving someone else, then God is not forgiving of you. And do you really want to worship him knowing that at this point in time, he's not forgiving you? That's an interesting thought. You're not here with clean hands and a pure heart. Okay, you see them do that. You see some of these people, they'll put their hands up and worship and, and things like that. There, there, is, there is something behind that, but I don't think that anybody who's ever done it. I've never been brave enough to raise my hands like that. Okay, because... What it is saying is, I am absolutely, totally dependent on you. I have nothing in my hands that breaks my relationship with you. And I just have never gotten to that place yet. Okay, because I can always think of something that has marred my relationship with my Lord. And I don't do it. You know, I might do one of these. You know, give me five, Lord. <laughs> but I I just ain't. Okay? And and it isn't that the Spirit doesn't move on me and all the rest of it. But, I, you know, I might get one of these. But I can't do that. I'm telling you, Lord, I have nothing in this world that I'm holding on to more than you. Really? I just haven't gotten there yet. I mean, I've had moments, but I've never been in church when I was that way. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Let's move on. You don't draw near to God with the intention of worshiping Him if you have an unsettled grudge. It's basically the okay. Reconciliation has to proceed, precede worship. Did you get that? I mean, if you really think about it, for you to worship the first time, didn't you have to get saved? Didn't you? All right, and. To be saved means that I have been reconciled. So how can I worship and I have someone out there that I need to reconcile with? All right, now we immediately jump into it. Well, you know, this person is not a man. They live in Ethiopia or, you know, Pensacola or something. And I just don't ever see them. Um, I'd go back to the cell phone thing. Okay, or Facebook or whatever. Because it isn't like you can't get a hold of people. Okay? And you know what? If if you have sinned against somebody and you try to reconcile it and they don't want to talk to you, then you've done your part. All right? It, that, that ain't the issue. It isn't a matter of, well, I've got to make sure they say I'm forgiven. Yeah, we've already discussed that. Go back to that nine-week stuff that I've already t- taken care of. 
All right. In worship, it, you know, worship is like prayer. Something. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 66. See, whenever I have an animosity in a relationship, and if you know that the animosity is there, either it's because you haven't repented or you have not forgiven the one who has repented. All right? 66, Psalm 66, verse 18 says... If I regard wickedness in my heart, what does it say? The Lord will not hear you. Worship is the same way. That's prayer. Okay? If there's something in my heart that is between me and my God, He ain't hearing my prayers. Okay? Same thing with worship. If there's something in my heart between me and my God, guess what? There ain't no sweet aroma of Christ rising up to him. I think they call that a putrid stench of the sewer. I could be wrong. (laughs) You've got to understand these things. Why? Because we are looking at how noble it is to forgive. That is amazing. So, you want to have an unforgiving heart? then you know that your sins will not be forgiving. You know you can't worship, and you know that God will not answer your prayers. I don't care where you're sitting. I don't care what you think you're doing. I don't care what action you're doing, but it is giving you a great big goose egg, and you ain't getting anything out of it. I don't know about you. That just doesn't sound like that inviting of a condition. And yet I watch people year after year sit there like bumps on a log and they are just mad about it and you ain't going to change them. And you know what? You point it out to them. There you go. This is what it says. Have a good day. All right. And then they continue the conflict with the Lord in the person of the Holy Spirit. And they'll either get madder and madder or he'll break their stiff neck. And sometimes he does it in very unpleasant ways. But he will do it. Ninth thing on the nobility of forgiveness. Okay. If I don't forgive, I absurd the role of God. If I don't forgive. Did you know that? It's kind of an interesting thought. If I don't forgive... I classify that as the ultimate ego trip. All right? See, if I don't forgive, I'm basically, in my heart, there's two things. One, here's what you're saying. If you don't forgive, here's what you're saying. God might forgive you, but I have a higher standard. That's a serious ego trip right there, buddy. God might forgive you, but my standard is higher. God is easier to deal with than I am. That's what you're saying. So do you see the nobility of forgiveness? It allows God to be the authority. 
But we like to be the authority. We like to punish them people who hurt us. It's good for them. It'll make them not do it again. God's law isn't as demanding as my law. Really? You know what they call that in biblical terms? Blasphemy. Okay? That third got blasphemy all over it. And I remember Harmanius and Alexander got the big boot out of the church so that they would learn not to blaspheme God. You know what? That is unimaginable pride. And yet I know people right now who are walking around in it. I'm not forgiven. Why? Because your standard's higher than God's? Second thing that goes through that heart is, is sort of this mindset. Give me that sword, God. You're going to take the sword of divine judgment out of the hand of the Almighty, thinking that you can do it better. Really? I remember one time some guy told me, he says, the worst place to be in all of life, and, and you know, I thought, you know, be sinning against God. And he said, nope, to be between a sinning saint's butt and God's hand. Okay, but you know what? A bunch of us won't be there. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, 17 and 21 says, Vengeance is the Lord's. So why do we feel like we have to <laughs> we have to do our fair share? See, taking the sword out of God's hand is saying, I'll deal with this myself, Lord. You're deciding God is too slow. Anybody here thought God was too slow? Nobody's going to admit to it. I don't, I've never thought it's too slow. <laughs> I thought it's just perfect. Okay. And you all just sin for lying. But anyway, that's, that's all right. Confession will be afterwards. All right. But we've done that. Well, God, this person really needs to get busted now. I'm doing it. We think that God is unjust. Perhaps God is just indifferent to this heartache. He doesn't understand. Perhaps God is too weak to deal with this situation. Oh, I know what it is. God is just too tolerant. He's letting grace cloud his view. But I've watched Christians think that, you know what, Lord, don't worry, I'll handle this. And I think, God, you're saying, God, give me that sword. I'll do some hacking on my own. I can fix this. And you know what? It goes back to my last statement. Do you understand that that is only blasphemous? The absence of for forgiveness 
is the presence of pride. Okay, I remember in our leadership class I was teaching on you know what is humility, and humility is the complete absence of pride, non-existent. Okay, and it is only then when you have the complete absence of any kind of pride are you humble, and guess what, you are also forgiving. You're also forgiving. <clears throat> and I, I, I watch people with a heart that they literally will assert the authority and the role of God. Listen, if you are dealing with an individual that has a, an unforgiving heart, it is easy to spot it and it is easy to point them to Scripture and say, just go to Matthew 18 and the slave. There, it, it isn't that complicated. Just go to that and say, well, in this role here, the slave who got forgiven by his, by his Lord that wouldn't forgive his fellow slave, which role do you play in that? That's all you have to do. You don't have to pull out the sword of wrath and say, and if you do not repent, I'll cut your head off and send you to Jesus in love but I watch people who do that. They think that it is my responsibility. I was confronted by this sinful situation and I believe that it is necessary for me to rectify this situation. Really? Well, you just don't think God's fast enough? Perhaps God's just... Perhaps this one passed by him and he didn't notice it. And thank God you were there because you noticed it. Really? And you know what? You, you, you use these illustrations and think, well, those are silly. Really? Do you want me to tell you how many times I've dealt with people in the same mode? Do you want me to tell you how consistent it is in the life of every believer? Because you can hear it sort of exaggerating. Well, that's silly. And the truth of the matter is, we are all guilty of it. God, you're not quick enough. God, you're too tolerant. What's the matter? You, 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 did you spill your grace bucket? What? Let me deal with this. I'll get them back to their knees. They'll be repentant. Wait till I'm finished. But God alone can deal with it. God alone dealt with your sin, didn't he? Did a pretty good job, don't you think? He has the perfect and the true understanding of every offense. Guess what? We don't. We are limited. He has the highest standard. Ours is lower. He has the authority, and it is unlimited authority. And you know what? I love every one of you, but we have absolutely no authority Whatsoever. None. Zilch. I know. It's depressing. But we don't. He is impartial. We're not. He is omniscient. He is eternal. He sees the end from the beginning. Very seldom do we see past the end of our nose. 
We are short-sighted. Or you could use the psalmist's description. We're ignorant. We are blinded by our own anger. He is wise and good. He acts in perfect holiness. You know what? We better keep that sword out of our hands. Because my best conclusion is that you give a Christian the sword of God's judgment, he'll end up cutting himself. (laughs) He will. And probably a lot of people will be wounded. And I know for a fact that it will not be just. You know what? In my life, as a child of the king, it makes no sense for me to be the judge of anything. That is the most senseless thing that I could ever think of. Me being the judge of anything. Now, you may have better insight than I do. But the truth of the matter is, no, you know, I, I, I just, you know what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto Christ. It works fine for me. It makes all the sense in the world for him to be the judge because he's told me over and over again, vengeance is his. And you know what? I've watched him. He is exceptionally good at it. Exceptionally good at it. I mean, he can inflict a wound and then he has a way of putting salt on it. And he keeps it there. He doesn't let it get worse, but he definitely lets it be miserable. And you know what? You don't have to do a thing. Now you want to. Because you know you can help. And I just want to be a servant for Jesus. See, if we go about our business, forgive from the heart, and if God wants to bring retribution, if God wants to bring chastening, God wants to act against in, uh, an individual in judgment, let him act. It ain't you. Let him do it. I've seen him. He does it well. So, nobility of forgiveness. One, it's like God. Two, fulfills the sixth commandment. Three, understanding that God has been offended more. Four, uh, we have been forgiven the greater sin. Number five, uh, there will be no love of the saints in the fellowship. Number six, it will be divine chastening. Number seven, we will not be forgiven in the time that we have here in our sanctification. Number eight, we are unfit to worship. Number nine, we are trying to absurd God's glory. And number 10 will be next week and I will wrap it all together. (laughs) All right. Listen, between the nine weeks that we took on the seven points of forgiveness, the blessings of forgiveness, and with these here, 10 on the nobility of forgiveness, do you see maybe we should forgive? And I, I, I would challenge you, each and every one of you, to be like the prodigal son's father. 
when you see the sinner cresting the hill headed towards you, run and meet him. Because you know what? He forgave us when we were yet sinners. And He ran to each and every one of us as soon as we turned His direction. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I just praise You for Your Word. I praise You for my brother Paul who set such a, an amazing example before us. Father, I thank You for the teachings of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. I thank You for the letter to Philemon. And Father, I thank You for this text out of 2 Corinthians. Father, it is our pride that does not allow us to forgive. And Father, if there be any in this room who has a pride problem, may today be the day that you crush it. And Father, we would have forgiving hearts. And that Father, we would understand that it's not about us. It's only about you. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for what it's done and stirred in my heart. I pray that it will help my brothers and my sisters who labor with me to walk in a manner that brings glory and exaltation to you who redeemed us, to your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name. Amen.